It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. And Jerry, the day is finally here. We get to talk about Envy of None. Oh, yes. I had no idea what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> what you were going to refer to. I was trying to think of something funny. I came up empty. On Friday, the new Envy of Nut album was released. That's right. And today, we're going to discuss it. But first, we must tell you, you can find us on Twitter, at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Follow or subscribe, rate us, review us on your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. He's masterful as always. And Jerry, got an email to get us started before we get into this great new album? Yes, this is from Jake. What's up, Jake? He says, I discovered your podcast late in the game, March of 2022. Oh, wow. That is late. That was just a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, considering this, <laughs> we're recording this in April, right? Yes. That happened because of my reading of the story of Alex Lifeson's new album with Envy of None and the lead singer, Maya Wynn. Oh, this took me down the rush rabbit hole that eventually led me to your podcast. Goodness, what a find. That's what he wrote. Goodness, what a find. That's awesome. My rush origin story. Born in 1974, I had an older brother 10 years older than me who sadly passed away in 2020 right before COVID who first got me into drumming and listening to Rush and Van Halen. I didn't quite get the Rush thing right away, but my brother gave me echoes of the lyrics dancing in my head for years from the early 80s onward. Then suddenly in 1990, entering my sophomore year of high school, the Chronicles compilation came out and Tom Sawyer was taking over the radio again. And maybe it was already taking over the airwaves. And I learned the complete Rush, gaining new friends at this time that loved Rush and who were also musicians only helped to expand my love for Rush and my efforts and my efforts to emulate Peart on the drums. Your podcasts on the Test for Echo album sparked memories of that 1996-1997 tour. I took my new girlfriend on our first official date. I married her a year later to see <laughs> Rush at the October 22nd show at the Nutter Center in Dayton, Ohio. First date, Rush show. That's how you know you got a keeper. <laughs> I guess so. My best buddy, a bigger Rush fan than me, went along as chaperone. My wife has never latched on to Rush like me, but she has always put up with my Rush love. She knew nothing of Rush except a few stray notes from the radio. She liked the show mainly to make me happy. Oh, isn't that nice? That's so nice. She's so good. And we still celebrate that first date anniversary, although she may not necessarily celebrate the Rush aspect of it. A note musically about one of these shows on the Test for Echo tour is that when they played virtuality, especially the core section, Net Boy, Net Girl, it seemed like the music overwhelmed the vocals. What I found interesting about this particular song is that later the next summer, on June 4th of 1997, again, I talked my now fiancé into going to see Rush, and this time at Riverbend in Cincinnati. This same song played again, but it was better in its overall sound. Perhaps it was the outdoor venue. You guys have talked about the better-sounding outdoor shows. Or maybe it seemed or maybe it seemed that Rush actually adjusted the music for this section of virtuality to where Getty's vocals were not overwhelmed like he was previously in the chorus. Focusing more so on the drums, as I would do naturally, it looked like Neil adjusted his drumming to a lighter method, which was more audibly pleasing. Of course, too, it could have been just a tech team sound adjustment. This just goes back to the musicianship of the best trio ever. One final note about the show, when the encore of YYZ and Cygnus X1 outro was done, the crowd was screaming for more. 
But of course, we only got the one encore. As we were walking out and discussing how we wished Rush would have done one more encore, my sister, who had also come, said, didn't you guys see that limo speed off from behind the stage while everybody was yelling? I suppose you have to make your escape when you can. Thanks for your podcast. Makes for great listening, memories, and insights during my workday. I actually just let your episodes play on shuffle mode, so I never know what I'm going to get. Oh, wow. That was from Jake. Kind of like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> I like that he'll be listening to maybe part one of an album discussion, and the next he's listening to part two of a different album discussion. That is interesting. He just kind of lets it go. And the other thing I thought was interesting about that email is he had a chaperone on his first date with his wife. You think that was a real chaperone, or you think he was just joking? Let's hope he was joking. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe he's just a, a poor choice of words. So, Jared, today we are going to be talking about the brand new album, as I said, that was released on Friday, April 8th, 2022, Envy of None. Two singles so far from this album, Jer. You know them, Liar and Look Inside. We've heard those. The band members, of course, Alex Lifeson on guitar, Andy Curran on bass, Alfio Annabellini on guitar, and Maya Wynn on vocals. Care to hear some other contributors to the album, Jer? Sure. David Quentin Steinberg, Tim Oxford, and Joe Vital all played drums on the record. Bethany Joyce played cello on the song Shadow. And our friend Jonathan Dinklage played strings on the final song, Western Sunset. Really? Yes. That's pretty cool. That is very cool. And here to help us break down this incredible album, she was our guest on episode 103 of Something for Nothing. Check that out if you want to hear more about how she got involved in this project. But today to help us break it down, singer, songwriter, and lead vocalist of Envy of None, Maya Wynn, welcome back to the Rush Fancast. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be back, and you guys are great. <laughs> oh, thanks. You know, it's, it's great having you on because now we finally have somebody who knows what they're talking about when we talk <laughs> about an album. I don't know anything. You can't pin that on me. <laughs> well, first of all, how excited are you that Envy of None is finally out and you can share it with the world? Man, I'm so excited. It's been such a long process and we've been working on it for five years now. So it's, it's almost surreal to be on the other end of it, actually. So why don't we start by breaking down song one on Envy of None, Never Said I Love You. My love. 
Never Said I Love You was one of my favorites. It was actually one of the early songs that we worked on. And this one, Andy had sent the bed track and it was already pretty fully fleshed out. There was a lot of ideas that are already instrumentally. And, and he had some ideas for a chorus. And he had that sort of like, I never said I love you. He, he had that already down when he sent it to me. And so I sort of took what was there and I wrote the verses and the vocal melodies for the verses in the pre-chorus and sort of finished writing the chorus. And I kind of rearranged where some pieces were to sort of fit the vision that I had for it when I was listening to it. And it was so fun. It was like immediately such a fun song when when I heard it for the first time. And and it wasn't till way later that Alex actually added his acoustic guitars and textures to that song. And I feel like it really just brought out that chorus and helped it pop even more. And I'm so glad that he did that because it really, I feel like it added just that that cherry on top at the end. And it was a really fun song. Whenever I, I hear that song, I think of like high heels on pavement for some reason, <laughs> like a really sassy businesswoman, like walking down the street. So I love it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has a beat you can you can walk confidently to. Yeah, I love that. I love songs like that. You, where you just like, you put your headphones on and you walk down the street and you feel really cool for a while. Yeah. <laughs> right. Now, before we start talking about uh, the lyrics to any songs, I'd like your take on how you view the meaning of songs when they're released and how people react to them. Because as a listener, I always want to know what a song is about. Mm. But we don't always get access to the person who wrote them to tell us what they're about. But then usually the person who wrote a song or has painted a picture or has done anything creative will say, it doesn't really matter what the song is about. It matters how it resonates and how people react to it. Mm-hmm. So what is your opinion of that? I'm the opposite of that. I feel like it definitely matters what it's what the song is about. And I feel like I sort of took it upon myself as the vocalist and, and as the person who wrote a lot of the lyrics to sort of make the meaning for these songs and create intention behind them. I think as a vocalist, I really it's really important to me to connect to the song and have a connection there, whatever it is. And so I feel like I really took it upon myself to find that connection and find that meaning for me. And I feel that way about music in general. I feel like I have a hard time connecting to songs that I don't really get or that I don't feel like there's a lot of meaning there. I think there's a lot of surface level songs out there that I don't, I have a harder time connecting with, but I love songs that have have that meaning and you can feel it even if it's not something you can personally relate to you can still feel that passion and you can feel that intention behind there and i definitely appreciate people who can find their own meaning in a song and their own interpretations of it even if it's completely different than what i intended but i still feel like you have to have an intention behind it if you're making art it's it's so important it's so important to have a, a meaning a connection a a little seed of of intention in there and so I feel, yeah, I feel strongly about that, <laughs> I guess. Because I always remember there was a story, there was one story in particular, Sting was like horrified to hear that every breath you take was being used as like people's wedding songs. <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah. song is not a love song at no, all. No, it's creepy. It's a it's creepy a creep- song. It's a creepy song. <laughs> and so, you know, something like that, it's like, yeah, I think the meaning does does matter. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to hear you say that because I, when I was listening to this album, I'm like, 
I think I know what some of these songs are about. So it's going to be an interesting test for me to see how <laughs> well I can read <laughs> into lyrics. So this is going to yeah, be great. And I feel like it adds another layer of complication to that too, because a lot of times, you know, Andy would write the musical bed track with, with Alf and he would have seeds of ideas or a name for the song, you know? And I feel like he had a different idea of maybe when he started it, what he wanted the song to be about. And then I would listen to it and then I would write the lyrics about something completely different. So I feel like the way that he even relates to the songs versus the way that I personally relate to them is sometimes different too, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you tell us what this song is about, Maya? Now, my interpretation is this is about a tough breakup, correct? Uh, is it from the perspective of the scorned or both? This is one that I feel like has a lot of different possible interpretations. I think for me personally, the way that I sort of went about it was when I, when I heard hit the phrase, I never said I love you, I imagined people who were really close, maybe really good friends. And there was maybe a little bit of like uncertainty there of whether they were more than friends. And then they never really acted on it before it was too late and that person's gone and maybe they're in a relationship with somebody else now and you never really got the chance to say, oh, I, I care for you, I love you and, and I really want to be with you and sort of like too little, too late kind of situation between two people who maybe have a lot of connection, but there was never really a, an indication of something more until it was gone. That's a little bit at odds with what I thought the song was about. Because <laughs> I wrote down that I thought the song was about the disconnect between like your stated goals for a relationship and the reality of a relationship. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks. That's a great interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> because it seems like to me, but like some of the lyrics in this song are so good, but it starts off, I know it took too long to learn to trust the fall. Like, like you said, with the friends who are just starting out as friends, taking too long to trust your feelings for someone else and then you don't express them and yeah. then it's then it's gone i do feel like this is the a, a very vague song of all of the songs this one i have the least specific idea about it's definitely a relationship or an almost relationship right but keep, keep going i'm, I'm curious <laughs> because and then later on when you use the word fall again it's how could i do you wrong you let me take the fall so using the word fall See, this is, this is my English major in me coming out, right? You take the word fall in the first line. It has a different meaning than fall the second time you use it. Right. And it seems like, you know, I had to learn to trust my feelings and fall into this relationship. But then the other person left you, left the, you know, the narrator. Yeah. And left them to fall on their own. Yeah. Is that close enough? Yeah. And I definitely, um, that play on words, I, I really enjoyed playing with because it is true it's it's you have to in a relationship you have to be willing to let go and you have to be willing to be vulnerable knowing that you could crash at the bottom and sometimes that's what happens you finally can be vulnerable enough to let go of all of those walls around you and then sometimes it doesn't work out and sometimes there's nothing to catch you at the bottom and I think there's a lot to be said about that and a lot to be said about the vulnerability of relationships and trusting another person to to see you as a as a full person and all sides of you and and what that truly means in a relationship and this song sort of walks that line between like that vulnerability and the consequences of that vulnerability when there's not 
two people meeting in the same spot. So Maya, I have a quote here. This is uh, from a louder sound interview that Alex Lifeson did. He said about this song after hearing her vocals on never said, I love you. I felt so excited. I've never had that kind of inspiration working with another musician. When we say she's special, it's because she's really effing special. <laughs> How does that make you feel hearing that? Feels pretty good. I gotta say, it, it feels nice. <laughs> I mean, this song is just so familiar and beautiful. I mean, there's just something about this song. It makes you feel like you've been listening to it for 30 years. And I just heard it for the first time the other day. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It really is. It, there's something that does feel familiar about it. I think it, it has it sort of harkens back to a lot of a lot of different genres, and and it immediately has that feeling of like, oh, this is like this is a song I I, I get and I know and I'm familiar with, and and it has that energy. And I, I I've always loved this song for that reason. And also, Alex is so sweet. He's so he's always been so kind, and he champions me so much as a musician and and. It's so reassuring and it just like, I appreciate him so much. And I know that there's people out there who will, who will read that quote and be like, well, what about, you know, Getty? What about Neil? And, and obviously I feel like nobody's ever going to come close to the connection that he had with those guys. I just think since then, you know, he and I have a really great camaraderie and we get each other musically and I I'm so inspired by him every time he sends guitar tracks and we kind of like, I want to wait for him to put guitars down and he wants to wait for me to put my vocals down. And we're sort of like, cause we play off of the harmonies and we play off of the layers and, and we have a really similar sense of harmony and, and it has been so fun working with him in that way. I think just think like musically we really get each other and it's been really inspiring and, and fun to work together. And so it's really, really sweet because for a while I was like, maybe I just feel this way. And so it was really fun to know that, you know, he felt that way too. And especially like long distance collaborations, you never know it's, if you're just like the inspired one, but it was really fun to know that, that he was inspired by me as well and very humbling and makes me feel special. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to track two on the record. It's called Shadow. What do I do? This has a very syncopated kind of feel to it, thoughtful tone, but also very dark. Yeah. Yeah. Shadow was uh, the first song that we, we did 
It was before I knew that Alex would be a part of the project. And it was the first song that I worked on with Andy and Alf. And I immediately grabbed a hold of that melody. Something about it really struck, I don't know, for lack of a better word, a chord with me. And it was just so catchy. And I could immediately see where I could go with it vocally. And he had like one phrase in there. I think it was just, you're my shadow. And so playing off of that for me personally, I sort of related that to sort of a, a toxic relationship or a toxic people, not necessarily somebody you're in a relationship with, but just somebody that you were close with once that sort of their negative negative energy can sort of linger like a shadow behind you, you know, and you don't really see the lasting effects of somebody's toxic energy until you're away from that situation. Not to be too cliche, because I'm not a very big like negative energy, toxic energy person, but I do feel like there are people who are, who can be very, negative and have a lasting impact on you and you don't really realize it until you're out of it. It can be anybody. It could be a friend, family member, or just people you work with or people around you. There's some, some people you just don't click with and they can really bring you down and they can really bring your energy down or your self-image down. And the way that those things stay with you for such a long time, it really does. It feels like a shadow that just follows you wherever you go. I had written down, this is either about a terrible relationship or a terrible habit. And I don't know if there's a difference. Mm. Yeah. Habits are like relationships. Right. I like that. Since it's called shadow, I definitely feel, you know, the thing behind you, right? That you can't mm -hmm. see because when you're facing it, your shadow's in the other way. But it's still there. And it's always there. It's always there in the back of your mind. You can never sometimes put your finger on it, but you know that it's there and it's affecting you in a negative way. Yeah, exactly. And I think there there is something to be said about some of those lyrics, you know, what do I do with all of these thoughts? I'm breaking down in the middle of it all. And I think a lot of times bad habits, they surround you in all of those thoughts and those sort of itchy thoughts of something right. that, you know, and you can't really let go of it. And it's just like, what do you do with all of that? What do you do with all of that energy? Bad habits. We're all creatures of habit. You know, we all have right. our own addictions, whatever they are, whatever it's cheese or alcohol <laughs> or you know wine and cheese television who knows time. what it is yeah exactly Good. yeah and the, and the last line darkness lingers in my mind my light has gone for good this time mm. i really love sad songs so mm. that ends in a very sad way for me it does so. it's a very hopeless <laughs> very ending hopeless. thought <laughs> right now you said maya that you started this song with just Andy and Alf. Now, what changed about the composition of the song when Alex got involved? Uh, similar to Never Said I Love You, he added these amazing acoustic guitars and chimey guitars that just really filled out the song. We only really had some synths and the bass in there before he mm -hmm. added stuff. So it was pretty, um, it's kind of one note, one dimensional until he added all of these really amazing layers acoustically and I think he did some bowed guitar as well and and I actually added this is the one song I did add some instrumentation and I did a I put a guitar through a distortion like a guitar amp and through some distortion and did these like with the modulator I sort mm -hmm. of like slid between notes and did these creepy little slide things and and then later I had a friend of mine play some cello on it as well so we really sort of added between Alex and Bethany on cello and, and then some of the stuff that I was doing we really added a lot of like creepy textures and filled out the space sonically um, and I feel like it really brought it to life. Now when we talk about Rush songs I always talk about Rush moments in songs these little tiny moments of silence like right after you say locking me in and asking for more there's this like 
tiny little second of silence mm-hmm. and the song kicks back in. Now, is that something that Alex brought to it or is who came up with that little, little moment there? I think that's really, um, Alf did a lot of that, those sort of mixed choices to bring and highlight different moments. And, and that's really where he, he brought so much in the mixes and added so many cool effects and sort of moments of like breath and then everything comes in. He did some really cool synth and key parts too, and, and has a lot of those little moments throughout the record that, that are just really cool and sort of chill inducing that I, I love. All right, let's move on to track three. This was single number two from Envy of None, Look Inside. playing a fretless bass on this one Maya he might be I know he doubled the bass he doubled the bass and added some distortion to it so it's really meaty mm-hmm. really meaty <laughs> it's really dreamy and trippy right Jar? yeah yeah I wrote down that it has a stoner groove mm-hmm. he would be happy with that <laughs> would he really <laughs> such a great groove on it and you know I wanted to ask you about your placement of the vocals in the mix mm-hmm. because they definitely sit inside you know the other instruments as opposed to rising above them and they they are just so beautiful and so airy Mm -hmm. how did you approach the lyrics for all of these songs and did you have that kind of mix placement in mind i think with each one it was different i think each song sort of called for a different approach to where the vocals would sit this one i feel like i used my voice as an instrument more than it didn't feel like a song that really wanted a lead vocal. Like it felt like it wanted more textures and just to add to that sort of weird, twisted, stonery vibe. But really I wanted to add lots of layers, lots of textures. And and especially with this song, I wrote the lyrics about introspection. And and you know, it's interesting that you brought up bad habits and that's 
part of what this song is about for me is just, just looking inside and seeing the worst sides of yourself to try to be better. And it's sort of like you have to slay the same dragon over and over and over again. It's not, it's not a one and done kind of thing. When you're changing for the better, when you're changing as a person, you can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be a better person. No, you have to sort of really take a look at yourself and attack those pieces of yourself that you want to change over and over and over again and, and really work on them. And it's kind of a slow, grueling process and that's what that song and and the music sort of reminded me of is just that it's dark and it's grueling and you have to really dig around inside yourself and find those things that you want to work on and and really want to address and sort of taking a look at yourself in an honest way like that can be really hard and dark and that process can be really grueling and and painful sometimes especially you know with mental health and and working through depression and, and working through some of those hard traumatic things inside of you and something about that song really spoke to me in that way and, and with that title that he gave me because I didn't have any lyrics he just titled it look inside and I was like okay well that feels like introspection and for me there's so much to address with that so much to address with trying to be a better person and the growth of just getting older and taking a look at yourself and and who you want to be in the future and I think we're all trying to be better in our own ways and realizing the sides of ourselves that aren't awesome at different times. <laughs> but yeah. Well, my favorite line is scars that are burning with aching obsession awaken the monster I've already slain. Because that's exactly what you were talking about, obviously, is you think that this part of your personality, that you've dealt with it, but it comes up again and again. Like if you want to grow something, you know, you got to tend your garden, they always say, whatever you have to pay attention to it. But you also, if you want to stop something from growing, you have to salt the earth every once in a while in order to keep it down. And that's what I got from those lines in the song. Yeah. So you mentioned my uh, bad habits. Now the video for this song, which is incredible, you see the pills, you see the pills on the album <laughs> cover, you see the pills spilling yeah. in the video. Are the pills part of that bad habit we're talking about? Not for me personally. I actually, it's really funny. The pills have sort of gotten out of hand. <laughs> There's too many pills. We've, uh, I think originally, you know, we, we had the album photo mm -hmm. and the purses they were holding looked like pills. So I think it was just this original, this original thing was just like, oh, let's just make them pills. And then it's just like, it's expanded. And so... I've decided I've created a meaning out of those pills. I think for me, you know, it, my brain goes to the matrix, right? That's what I thought of too. Right. And you have two options in the matrix, but here you only have one. You only have the blue pill and the blue pill keeps you ignorant. And I think that's actually a really good metaphor for where we are in our, in our society right now. Information and anything enlightening is hard to come by. I think there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of confusion there's a lot of things that make me feel like i'm still ignorant about so many things in this world and it doesn't really feel like there's i wish i had a red pill that would just enlighten me and help me understand everything about this universe about people about our everything but there really isn't that option we don't really get that option in our world we just right. we only have the blue pill and so that's sort of where i've I've settled with the blue pills, although I do feel like there's a lot of interpretations with it. And there, and there really is, a, ironically, with Look Inside, I think there is something to address with bad habits, with 
drug culture and addictions and how that plays into so many so many of our lives and and especially i don't know with the music industry and the film industry that's such a huge component and something that i've been encountering a lot even just in the past like few months that as i'm meeting more people in the industry and and going to more gatherings and and it's just so clear that there is such a a huge culture around drugs and alcohol and it's just something i haven't really experienced a whole lot of until recently and and it, it is an interesting component to add to all of this as well and and a commentary i guess about that but i think we're all you know we're all facing our own things and and working on our own things and i don't I don't really have any place to judge anybody, but I think, you know, it is it is something that I think can be interpreted from that video as well and from from the metaphor of the pills or the not so metaphor of the pills. <laughs> <laughs> so track four on Envy of None is also the first single from the album and it's called Liar. This song is not about what we all think it's about. Tell us what this song is really about. <laughs> this song, okay, so I went to jury duty and it was my first time at jury duty. And I was actually, so Andy had already written the song. This was the only one that was actually already finished by the time I got it. And they actually had another singer, they had lyrics done and everything. And he's like, you know, we want this to be your song. You could rewrite the lyrics. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take this from a personal experience and and I'm not a person who writes a lot of relationship songs actually and so I was trying to find inspiration for it and then I I had jury duty for the first time at that same time and and I was in the courtroom and they were sort of interviewing all of the potential jurors and they brought in the woman who was on trial and listed all of the horrible things that she was on trial for it was a nasty case and she was sort of scanning the jurors right because they can sort of um get rid of a few of them that they don't like <laughs> she was scanning the jurors and she looked me dead in the eye and just with this look of 
coldness and and vacancy and malice and it was just creepy and it was creepy and gross and i hated that moment (laughs) (laughs) that we locked eyes and i just everything inside of me was like this woman is guilty this is shit that what there's something very wrong with this person and then of course they're like and she pleads not guilty and and I was like, this woman is a liar, which is probably why I didn't get put on that case. Um, <laughs> they, they kicked me out of there. But it definitely inspired me. So I went home and I wrote the verses. That's so amazing. When I heard it was about jury duty, Jar, I was like, <laughs> this changes the whole meaning of the song. Yeah, it does now. Yeah. Because I was, I'm, I'm taking this as my first loss for understanding what the song is about. <laughs> It's unexpected. I like that it's unexpected though. I think I think there's a lot of a lot of typical sort of relationship breakup songs out there. So I kind of like that it's at least for me not not what you would expect. <laughs> but it's written in such a way that a lot of people can understand the feeling and of course apply that feeling to times in their own life when they had wished at least that they could spot the liars among them. Yeah. Yeah, it's very relatable. There's a lot of liars out there. (laughs) Now, this song has such an industrial sort of sound to it, Maya, almost like a Nine Inch Nails kind of feel to it. It's just Mm -hmm. just tremendous. Tell us about the construction of the song. Yeah, and and, well, so for this one, it was really easy for me to sort of get into it because it was already so, so fully fleshed out and there was already, Alex had already played on it. They already had everything sort of figured out so it's it was really easy to get into it and i sometimes wish we went even more aggressive with the vocals in some spots i felt that on a couple of songs on this record that i'm like oh, i kind of wish we did something a little bit more aggressive at times but i feel like the haunting vocals and that creepiness really play hand in hand in this song and, and i love how heavy it is i love heavy songs and i love just how gritty it feels. And, it, and I think it, it's, it's a really good match for the lyrical content and the message of the song. Yeah, one of my favorite lines in the song is, you can say, you can see the light, but you speak with your eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I, just, I just love that. I just love that line. <laughs> Thank you. And the contrast between the crunching guitars at the beginning and then the acoustic bridge later on, which is so beautiful, that now I know I can't trust you part. I mean, it just speaks to just how great Alex is and how talented everybody in your band is, honestly. So many cool layers on that song. There's so many layers, even I listen to it and I don't know what is synth or keys or guitars because he did so many cool, weird, trippy things with his guitar layers that just sound like something else or other instruments. And I know that was one of his goals in this record. And even me knowing these songs inside and out sometimes i'm like wait is that the guitar part or is that the keys or is that both or you know and he he did so many cool things to his guitars and i and i love that about this record is that there's just textures and and sounds and they all just blend so well together and you're never quite sure who is who or who's doing what all right track five on envy of none is called spy house
This is one of the tracks that Alex released as an instrumental previous to the release of this album. How hard was it to take an instrumental song and then that already had a title and add vocals to it? It was so hard. This was the <laughs> hardest song on the record for me. I did so many things. I tried so many things that ended up in the trash because they were just so bad. And it was so hard because I think part of it is that it's such a great instrumental and it doesn't have in a lot of repeating sections. It's sort of, it grows and it changes and it's short and it's aggressive and full already. And it was such a great instrumental. And so it's really hard. And then Spy House, like, what do you write about that? That's such a, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a specific thing. So we worked on that for a while. I, I tried a lot of different things and I ended up sort of creating a character in my head. She's very paranoid that, this guy is spying on her, but she's actually the one spying on him and she's kind of obsessed with him. And like, I know you're spying on me, but she's the one spying on him. And it's really creepy and weird, um, kind of paranoid. And I kind of had to create a, a character for this one to really get into it and kind of make it work. And But the song feels that way. It's kind of like obsessive and paranoid at the same time. And there's passion there as well. It's sort of a weird combination of all of these feelings. And so I sort of created a weird, not very romantic story of a very obsessed woman um, to sort of, yeah, find a place to to write from for that one. Yeah, because her if her paranoia is the thing that makes her think someone is spying on her, then she's looking out to him to spy on him to see how often he's spying on her. Right. <laughs> 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 now, this is the first time on the record that we hear an actual Alex Lifeson solo, and it's an mm -hmm. incredible solo. Tell us your thoughts on Alex's solos and just how they add to the song. I love this his solo on this on this song. I actually I tried really hard to get him to do more solos, and he's like, "Nah, I'm not really feeling it," you know. And he's so <laughs> humble. He's just like, "I don't really want a solo anymore. I don't really feel it on this song." And but he had it in the song already, and it was such a great solo. And so I just sort of like, I really wanted to not step on his guitars vocally, you know, in this song because I was like this is an amazing solo it's such an amazing track already and and his guitars are so cool and so I just tried really hard to sort of make space and sort of support that solo a little bit with that because it has that cool build and and there's those harmonies that sort of spread out and then he has that amazing solo and and I feel like it turned out really cool I tried really hard on a few of the other songs and he did do some sort of soloy things because I I asked him to but I totally respect that choice too. Like I think there are a lot of a lot of people out there that just love showboating and and love you know doing the same thing over and over again. But I love that he challenges himself in new ways and he just wants to try new things and and sort of do unexpected things with his instrument at this point. And I think that's really really commendable and respectable as a really talented and amazing musician. You know, he's done so many amazing things with his guitars over the years and he's still finding new ways to sort of take on these songs and try different things and experiment and use his instruments in in new and unique ways and unexpected ways and I I really respect him for that. I think it's it's really commendable. Yeah, I think this is definitely a band. Do you know what I mean? This is a band effort. Yeah. And that's what I like about the album. It has a very cohesive sound throughout the whole thing. And it's just, it's, it sounds like a band because it is right. <laughs> yeah. A band, a 
a group of weirdos from <laughs> group across, of weirdos. across the land. <laughs> well, so far, this album is incredible. And Maya, if you're willing, we'd like you to come back next week and talk about side two of Envy of None. Would you do that for us? I would love to. I love you guys. You're great. <laughs> well, we love you. And thanks for joining us today. And we'll talk to you again next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So, Jared, the thing that jumped out at me the most about the first part of our conversation with Maya is the song Liar. How crazy is it that that song is about jury duty, right? <laughs> right. I would, everybody, including myself, would assume it was about a specific person in a relationship or somebody that you know personally. But uh, look at that. It's not. Yeah. And I was reading that that's what Alex loves about it so much that. Obviously, everybody thinks it's about a relationship, but it's not. That it confuses people. That's what yeah. he likes the most about it. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to cause chaos. You know that, Jer. He is. He he has. Uh, he's chaotic neutral or something. I'm not sure what where he sits. But so far, this album is the word, Jer. Fantastic. It is fantastic. I'm looking forward to next week. I'm looking forward to next week too. You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at the Rushcast. Email Jerry, let him know what you thought of part one of our conversation with Maya Wynn, therushcast at gmail.com. Follow or subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that's Lex, Jerry. You know him. I do. You got a quote to wrap this up for us? I do, and it's from the aforementioned liar. Nice. You let your darkness show... And now I know that everything you said was just a lie. You're a liar. So true. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you next week.